As well-documented fans of reality TV, we acknowledge that it's so easy to love the climactic reveals offered by a good reality makeover. These parts of the episodes offer so much hope and promise, kind of like beginning of a school year or finishing a really good training session, right? It's easy to want to turn over a new leaf, but how do we take the excitement of sweeping change and make it into something more sustainable and habitual? Stick around. I will be revealed in this discussion with the GLG. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, La Capitana Casey Veach, team skeptic and idea slinger of spaghetti, Emily Coquelin, and me, clarifying the GLG butter, Jenny Labrie. Whether you're watching someone burst into tears at the unveiling of a perfectly clean and newly remodeled home, finally dressing in clothes that make them look and feel their best, or even kicking off a new phase of their restaurant business, maybe even on the advice of a certain cranky, curse-happy British chef (laughs) with a hidden heart of gold, watching the end of a makeover show in reality TV brings up so many moments of joy and hope. But what happens when the cameras disappear and it's up to the individual to make a change for good? We know it's not as sexy, right, as the big reveal at the end of one of these shows, but we're here to talk about sustainable change. What makes that awesome thing that I want to try now into something that actually will be integrated into our day-to-day practice? In this episode, we'll talk about and share what we know about human behavior and learning theory to discuss why it's difficult to sustain change and also what we can do to make the changes we wish to see in our lives and our instructional practice stick for the long term. Guys, you ready to talk about sustainable change? Before we do, though, I think we need to acknowledge a big milestone for this group. I was texting you all this morning. What's going on, guys? It is our 50th episode of Grounded Learners Guild. I mean, this is huge, especially I was saying because we're working moms of young babies and we've made it to 50 episodes. How have we done it? It's awesome. Yeah, think about it. How many hours of us not sleeping this has been? (laughs) (laughs) How many episodes have we filmed late into the wee hours of the morning that Emily has stayed up far past her bedtime for? (laughs) Yeah, y'all, seriously, my bedtime is like maybe 8 p.m. This Not is on Saturdays. Nope. Labor of love, 50 times and hopefully more. Yeah. I love that. Labor of love, it really is. It so. is. Well, and it's a perfect segue into, I think, what we're going to be talking about today and the very small little bit of metaphor connection. We've talked about reality TV shows mm-hmm. before on this podcast when it comes yeah. to education. But really, what we're going to do with this episode is bring us back to some of those old home makeover shows. Like I'm envisioning trading spaces, right? Uh Where they have a very short period of time to remake someone's room that they just really didn't care for. They do it in a weekend. And what is it going to take to keep that room that you've made over for somebody else sustainable? What's going to make you keep that? The first question that we wanted to talk about as a group is, why is change so hard and why is sustaining and keeping that change to be the new normal even harder 
You know, that's really interesting. Change is hard for so many reasons because change is really personal to an individual. People change and don't change for a myriad of different reasons. But when you go to tell somebody that a change is needed or that a change needs to be made, right now, maybe we just want to lampshade the moment in time or just where we've at. And we've said this before in both full-length episodes and in our mini episodes too, is that too much too fast is a lot and we're at a moment in time where there is a lot going on and a lot of change going on and a lot of the change was completely out of everybody's hands and came hand in hand with the pandemic that we all went through so fast forward to where we're at now a lot of times when even some really positive changes are on the horizon people are just so fatigued by change and change and more change and dare we even say the dirty word pivot to this pivot Mm -hmm. to that you know and a lot of people are a little changed out they're not ready for change right now one thing that comes to mind especially is our favorite marcus buckingham one of those people that we've learned from and he is really well known in the business industry for what does it look like to be resilient through change and other things. But in this case, one of the quotes that he had said in a session that I had watched of his really stuck with me. And it was that people don't fear change. Adults don't fear change. And I was like, what are you sure? He says, and through his research has found, people don't fear change. What they fear is the unknown. And so I think that that's really a powerful thing to also lampshade as we're talking about this is, are we talking change that people are resistant to? Or are they resistant? resistant to not having enough information or is the messaging not quite there or what is still unknown for them. So that's just something that sticks out to me. But yes, change is something that if we can find a resiliency through and also talk through how to maintain it, which we'll do in this episode, is how can we make it lasting? I just keep thinking about too, we mentioned it in our intention for a lot of us as educators are trained from a very young age that pattern And routine equals safety, right? By doing things and keeping the status quo, it's why they say children should have a schedule. We are raised to continue that status quo. So we've talked about a couple of reasons why change is difficult. We've talked about the evolutionary, anthropological. We've talked about change fatigue, especially now has made people cynical and not want change to go back to certainty. What are some pitfalls that some of us run into when we try to encourage other people to change or to grow? So one thing that can happen is change for the wrong reasons. A lot of times when people are approaching a change or being told to change, and it's not a change that's authentic to the problem of what's going on, that that really causes the change to fall flat on its face. So I'm going to pop back into metaphor land here for a second. Of course, I love all the restaurant shows. Those are my jam. And so I'm thinking of the ones like Nightmare Kitchen and ones like that, where the person doesn't want to change themselves. And so they're Mm -hmm. blaming everything else around them for why something's wrong. Like, oh, it's the customer. They're being rude or it's my workers it's not my food they're just making up all these like excuses but at the end of the day what the problem is is they're not really aware of what the issue is that forces a need for change and until you are it's not going to work well we've talked about that with coaching on this podcast before the Uh current reality the self-awareness to know and to even pause long enough to reflect You know, it could be all of these outside factors, but it could also be something that I'm doing or don't want to acknowledge. 
whoever's out there on the other side of this, whether it's earbuds or in your car listening to this, identifying what change is hard for you. And do you fall into some of these particular patterns that we're talking about? That self-awareness that Casey's talking about, it's super important in our reflective Mm -hmm. process to be thinking along those lines each and every day about what is it that I'm resistant to and what is it that I'm willing to be open-minded to and open-hearted to trying out. It is a daily practice of thinking along those lines. The quote by Alvin Toffler is, the illiterate of the 21st century are not those that cannot read and write, but are those that can't learn unlearn and relearn. Those people that embody that are typically the ones that are able to adjust and grow throughout this change. The more resistant you are to that kind of mindset, the more of a practice you might have to put yourself in to be willing to get there. I like that idea of like unlearn and relearn because I think another thing we want to mention that no one has yet about change being difficult is this idea of maybe needing a little more grace within our entire practice of understanding that changing involves a lot of backsliding or error, trial and error, trying things that don't work. So one of the more common sustainable changes people try to make, all the weight loss stuff out there, the biggest loser reality show since we're on that line of thought, it's really hard to make a change that is permanently putting you in a always healthy place. Dude, food yeah. tastes good. You know, there's there's <laughs> going to be there's going to be backslides, there's going to be cheats, there's going to be difficulties, but if a process understands with grace, that it is slow and human to mess up in the midst of change, then the change can be more sustainable when we get in the practice of getting back on the horse after a screw up. That's great. We've talked a lot about why change is hard. What suggestions do we have for folks who are ready to make that jump or are looking to help their systems grow and innovate and some of the things you mentioned, Jenny, the relearning and unlearning, what are some tips that we can share? Well, the first one, I'll start off here because I think it goes a lot with what I just said prior. Don't highlight what's different only. Highlight what is staying the same. It goes back to Mm -hmm. not fearing change itself, but fearing the unknown. So when you start to tether things to things you already know and do, it's going to then make and create the space that you need in order to work through the discomfort of something that you may not quite be an expert at yet. Right. It's true. I'm actually teaching a brand new course, never been taught at my institution before with the same co-teacher I taught with last year. So I have a comfortable partner to work with and adapt instruction and adapt the curriculum with. While a lot is new, there's some familiarity and a familiar person and partner to ground that practice into. So thinking about instructional change, you made me think of the situation I'm currently in. And we did this before when we were all together in the same organization where we would translate. So this new thing that we're trying, it's very similar to this thing that we were already doing. We're just tweaking this little piece of it. So highlighting that little small thing that's changing. I also had a principal who, when we were revamping our PLC program, said this is exactly like the old Richard DeFore model. It's just got this little piece to really highlight and drive home the fact that we're not changing. We're not throwing out everything. We're building off of an already really solid 
foundation. The other suggestion we've talked about too on this podcast before, the Hidden Brain podcast with Shankar Vedantam. It's one of those ones that I always go back That's to great. on my long so drive. And he, on his podcast, focuses on change and persuasion and flat out states, you cannot change people with facts. You really do have to connect with people's hearts and emotions. Most of us, when we're trying to get individuals to adjust or modify their behavior or their practices, we start with the analyze. Here's what you're doing that's not right. And here's how it goes against what we want to happen. We get them to think about the facts that we shared and then, oh, change will just magically happen. No, it's got to really shift from the analyze, think, and change. That's the John Cotter model to see, feel, and then the change will be easier because you're winning over the hearts and the minds once they're able to see, oh, this is why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling about the new change. Dang, Casey, as you're talking about that with the Hidden Brain podcast, it's backed up by other research and other people mm-hmm. we've we've learned from as well along the lines of Simon Sinek and the golden circle. And when you think of the operating from the center of the circle, why, how, what, moving your way out versus people in human nature tend to go with the what or the facts first and move their way into the how and the why. But those feelings and that emotion that goes through the brain science of the limbic system is really where you're going to tap into people's motivations to then help them through that change. And so really understanding not only the psychology, but the brain science behind it, and then also not really catering to our gut instinct of let's do the facts. As soon as that Simon Sinek's golden circle was introduced into my repertoire of just listening to even leaders and colleagues surrounding myself, noticing now how often we lean towards the facts and the what with ignoring that middle circle of the why. It's really fascinating and it really makes a difference in helping people through that change. And Jenny, you bring up brain science too. We mentioned it in our first segment, the anthropology, the human learning piece of all of this. Humans as organisms are risk averse. We learn Mm -hmm. more from the negatives in our lives than the positive moments just because of how we developed and evolved. So if you can, when you are encouraging other people or your system to change, consistently remind people of the negatives for not changing. I'm not saying we're totally going doomsday, chicken little, the sky is falling. No, of course not. Mm -hmm. But no one wants to hang on to a bad situation. This is not working. Our students are not performing the way we want to. Our adults are burnt out. Unless we do this, And there has actually been a process for building buy-in to really determine that doing that thing is going to help the situation, then it's a much easier lift because no one wants to stick around doing something that's not working anymore. Yeah. You think of the truism, better the devil you know, and like how to combat Mm -hmm. that. It doesn't have to be a devil. It doesn't have to be that, you know? (laughs) And I know, Jenny, you brought up Marcus Buckingham. One of the pieces that I have always remembered from that same conversation listening to him at FETC several years ago was the concept of vivid foresight. People are Mm -hmm. okay moving into the unknown when there is something known about that unknown. Dan and Chip Heath in their book, Made to Stick, talk about painting a picture 
a vivid picture what success looks like ties into Marcus Buckingham's vivid foresight. This is what it should look like if we're able to see all of this through to the end. And honestly, that brings me back to the ideas of coaching too, because a lot of times when we're trying to get somebody to define a goal and then to do the actual work that it's going to take to achieve that goal, we ask them to describe what that change would look like in their classroom. So then they have some of those indicators for knowing if and when the goal is met. And a lot of those things are things you could go to or look to over and over. But like you said, they have to themselves understand and describe it vividly if it's a change that they're going to continue working towards. One of the common strategies that my team often asks groups when they're doing school improvement, articulate what does it look like, sound like, and feel like, because it helps paint that picture, provide that vivid foresight for what we actually are striving for. What is the end result going to be after we've done all of this change? Well, and I love that because it's taking things from the meta and bringing it into a little bit of tangibility that you need in order to work your way through, is this viable? Can this be executed? Mm -hmm. Right? Right. So we've talked about some hacks for change. How do we literally make that change sustainable? How do we make it stick? Okay. So this is a tricky one, especially when we're talking within an institution, but I feel like it kind of needs to be said is change has to be self-led. Someone else's goal is not going to work for another person, even if they maybe even teach on the same team or have the same subject. That's why instructional coaching is so powerful mm-hmm. is because it works to an individual goal and tries to keep each individual working, maybe even within systemic goals, but working towards a particular goal and benchmark that they themselves want to hit. So if a person isn't ready to change, they will not change. And people typically don't change for other people. They change for themselves. Yes, yes, yes. Agency. Yes. You strip people of their agency, the intrinsic motivation is lost. And does that mean that you won't be empathetic towards the needs of others or the goals that you're setting aren't in service of others or the work that you're doing? No. And that's where sometimes others don't quite understand this concept is when they are like, well, this is a systemic goal that we are all working towards. And it's like, yes, but within that, how do we help bring that emotionally compelling piece to bring people along Mm -hmm. for the ride? Because if you don't bring them along for the ride, the sustainability of wanting to come back for more, because you're going to have to frustrate through the change. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be motivated to keep coming back if you don't have some of that agency. Well, and I think too, that agency piece also can come into play when the change happens too fast. If it happens Uh seemingly overnight or nobody gets any other buy-in, it's just we're driving the bus. And if you're not on the bus, then we're going to run you over. You know, that <laughs> happens when when we're changing too fast. So the reality TV example, most of those biggest loser contestants, okay, they, they gained it back. Yes, yep. they gained it all back. Yep. You're totally right. <laughs> Anyone who does weight loss surgery, they actually force you before to lose a dramatic amount of weight so that you can sustain the change after you get that surgery. So definitely allowing people time to get involved, to have that agency means you're more likely going to stick that change or maintain that forward trajectory. Yeah, except the gradual nature of Mm -hmm. the process of change. A healthy change will be gradual. Mm-hmm. That begs the question, though, you guys, I can't help but to have this nagging when I think of 
change and fast change. And I think of March of 2020 and moving an entire system Mm -hmm. to digital school, hybrid school, whatever it morphed into and where we are. And I remember the fall of 2020 where we're going back to school and we're thinking about like, how do we capture this inertia to keep all of the things that we learned over the spring? How do we keep that going? And how do we continue to move in that direction? So leads me to the question, was that too fast? What Mm -hmm. effects are you guys seeing? Because of that, are people reverting back to what's comfy and cozy rather than thinking of the innovative side of things? Don't want to sound like team cynicism here, but since Jenny (laughs) took on the skeptical first, I'm just going to hang with it here. (laughs) I call this phenomenon the rubber band phenomenon. There is a lot of people who have wanted to snap back to get the kids off the technology. Let's go back Mm -hmm. to what we were doing before because that was an upsetting time. So I don't want to say everybody's doing this, and I certainly don't want to overgeneralize with that statement, but it's been enough of a phenomenon where I have a name for it. I will say that. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm going to add on to the cynic <laughs> perspective. <laughs> I think so, and I'm approaching it from the professional development lens. I'll speak for my organization first, but also state that what my organization sees is what's happening throughout our state, right? Mm -hmm. We offer some really great, innovative learning opportunities for people, and people are not coming. Apart from the school environment being so incredibly stressful, the change and the experiences that everybody went through caused the I'm done. (laughs) I'm done learning, right? I don't want to do it anymore, or I don't have the capacity to. And I think that's case in point for why we don't want to do it too fast, because it creates that burnout. Well, yeah. And I think that there might be a conflation here too, because we were talking about change fatigue is too many changes. If we were able to maybe pare it down, there's probably been some small things that have stayed, some new practices or some things that have stayed. But I do think that that idea of change fatigue really describes that era of 2020 also. Like everything changed. It wasn't just one or two little things or a new phenomenon, we literally had to reinvent how we were doing school and we had to do it not only very quickly, but everything about it. Every aspect Mm -hmm. of a kid's school day was different. Every aspect Mm -hmm. of the way teachers do their practice from how they do professional learning, like you said, Casey, how they collaborate Mm -hmm. with each other, how they talk to students, how they talk to families, like everything all at once was different. So maybe it's change fatigue too. I don't know. Yeah, don't want to conflate it. I'm going to pull this back into full circle and at least speaking from my own anecdotal observations and experience, but I'm eternally grateful that we got to witness that. It was not easy. It was not something that I think anyone would choose, but I am proud of it. I'm proud of what educators did then and are continuing to do. And it's just a really interesting case study in when it's that fast look at how hard, what toll that takes on people. And so an interesting thing, but nonetheless, something that I'm still very grateful for in the reflective piece and the experiential piece, and we are better because of it. Yeah. Well, and I do look back at some of those reality TV shows too, is a lot of the people, even if they didn't manage to totally stick the landing on all of the changes they were forced to make or were given or the house looked really good, but after the truck pulled away, a couple of the walls collapsed, I still think a lot of (laughs) folks appreciate the experience of it, just Mm -hmm. going through it, seeing what it was like, peeking behind the curtains, knowing what it was like to do it, whether the change itself was sustainable or not, you can always learn something from the process. No doubt. 
Speaking of those weight loss shows we mentioned earlier, one of the other big, big pieces that they recommend to keeping that change and maintaining it is having some sort of accountability partner, someone there. And back Uh to your point, Jenny, about the March of 2020, we as a group really came together and bonded as a result of that experience. So having somebody there alongside you to help coach you through and push that momentum through can be really powerful too. Yes, 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 yes. So I don't know if anybody on the planet loves the show Queer Eye as much as I do. I hope so. And I'm sure so because they keep making new seasons. But that is my workout show and one of my comfort shows. So I'm going on a little tangent here. But one of the things that they do in the segment that seems like it's the most difficult segment to do where Karamo Brown meets with the people to work on some real, not just like changes about their lifestyle, about their home, about how they dress and about how they do their hair or their face, but really about how they deal emotionally with the people in their lives and the issues in their lives. It's almost like mini therapy. But one of the things I've noticed he does a lot with contestants on that show, he will bring somebody out from their life to talk to them. It's not just him having a heart to heart with the person, but if they've been struggling with how much time they spend at work and they're not really making time at home, they'll bring one of their adult children to talk to them about it. Or if they're in the process of grieving, he'll arrange some time for them to talk to their partner. At the end of the day, the Fab Five are going to go home. So it's about setting up a partner for somebody to learn with and learn from and making it somebody that you see and that you work with and that you deal with on a day-to-day or at least a week-to-week basis. So when we think about accountability partners, I would challenge anybody to think of like, who would Caramel bring out to meet you? Who's your person? Who's keeping you honest? Who's your guild? Who's your friend? Who's your partner who could help you with this particular change? Yeah. And aside from the people on this screen, y'all, who's your accountability (laughs) partner? The people Uh, on this screen. (laughs) (laughs) I say that's enough, but if there were any others, any shout outs you want to give to anybody who's listening? Word, Katie Gabor, my sister from our Joy episode. We are currently on a healthy eating challenge and are doing fairly well. Better than we ever have in the past because we text each other what our goals for the week are. It's so dorky. (laughs) Y'all's and my sis. It is what it is. That was adorable. All right. You ready to play the game? (laughs) Yeah. Let's play a game. (laughs) We're going to see how this works, folks. This game that we're going to play is based off of a real card game called Timeline. It is an amazing adult beverage consuming game, just so you know. The way the game works is you have a series of cards. Each person gets several of them. And you start with an initial object. Sometimes the game involves music or history. In this case, it's inventions. Mm. And you have to essentially create a timeline for when all of these events occurred in relation to each other. So this particular episode, we have chosen seven items that have really changed not only the human world, but our worlds on (laughs) the Grounded Learners Guild podcast. Kind of. One of mine is a little weird, but I still think it's a good invention. (laughs) And so our goal is going to be to see if we can accurately put them all in order in relation to each other. The more events on the timeline, the harder placement gets. So I'm going to be game czar, but also know that I'm going to play fairly and honestly here. So I can go last (laughs) 
<laughs> in the order. <laughs> our first invention near and dear to our hearts is the invention of the coffee maker. So for all of our invention cards, we have to say whether they were invented before or after the coffee maker, but also as each invention gets added to the timeline, we have to say where that is in relation to the other objects. Dang. Yes. I am master keeper of the timeline here. Emily, you can go first. You choose your card, whichever of the two. And where does it happen on our timeline? I am going to choose the invention of the portable phone because we are all infinite scrollers these days. So that came after the invention of the coffee maker. Do you happen to have a guess? You don't have to guess what year, but do you happen to know what year it was invented? The portable phone. Well, okay, man, I'm just, I am my age. So I mean, we're not talking <laughs> about it. like taking your phone cord and like walking four rooms away from your parents. You right? know, the we're one with the bungee? Yeah, the yeah, bungee. yeah, really <laughs> like a cordless phone. Not no, like literally <laughs> a cordless phone. It is literally cordless. Okay, so we're gonna say 19... 93. No, it was what? 1973. Dude, Ooh, that how away. big was it? Was it the size <laughs> of a Cadillac? <laughs> it was huge. I have no idea how much it cost, but oh my gosh. according to my notes, it was 1973. And you are wow. correct. So Copeland, you get one point congratulations thanks all right Bonus points on the years right is that how yeah, that's yeah. working okay yeah. well nowhere close on that but that's i'll okay. take the, yes. i'll take the single point <laughs> okay so jenny you have to select one of yours and place it on our timeline accurately i'm gonna go with because i was just using it tonight and i use it nearly every day the invention of the gps Ooh, okay good. global Where positioning going? global positioning service sa satellite satellite, satellite? <laughs> service something <laughs> <laughs> something okay where does it go in relation to the coffee maker and the portable phone it is after both after both uh, oh no 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 can i change it i have it written down they went to you the moon change it they probably had stuff at the moon in 1969. In between coffee maker, I'm changing it. I'm changing it so you didn't write it down. In between the coffee maker and the portable phone. Move that card. You would be incorrect. So according to my notes, the invention of GPS occurred in 1978. Ah, you know what? I should have stuck with my gut stuck just with like, you know, the SAT skills say you should do. Yep. Not every change is worth sustaining, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there, <laughs> Coakland. I'm going to start with my first easy one just because strategy here. My first is the invention of parchment. Oh. And that very much came before the coffee maker. You stacked yes. the deck. That was way too easy. Games okay. are wins the game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any guess on when that occurred, Casey? Oh, that's like 2000 BC or something, yeah. I bet. Ancient Egypt, papyrus, anyone? Yeah. yeah. It says negative 200. So, <laughs> <laughs> so 200 BC. Okay. Emily, you're back up. Your next card. All right. Well, my next card is trickier. Okay. The invention of the automobile. Mm-hmm. That is going to be 
after the papyrus. <laughs> That's <laughs> easy. Okay. <laughs> then it's coming before before the coffee maker yeah. and before the other things too. Okay, GP- you are correct. Phone and the GPS. invention of the automobile. 19, 1908? In- oh, 1769. What? <laughs> That's Henry nice. Ford? What? Um, well, yeah. Ford who? <laughs> Henry Ford was the assembly line. They were probably ma- they were making automobiles before that. In the 1700s? 1769. This game's rigged. <laughs> Yeah, cool. There's the founding fathers this. just driving around in their car. <laughs> <laughs> George Washington's like my powdered wig. Oh no! <laughs> Roll the window up. <laughs> Emily, you are still winning, though. You did get it accurately placed she on did. our timeline. <laughs> I'm doing a few things right. <laughs> All right, Jenny, you're up. Your last one. Oh, I have no idea for this one. I have the invention of the post-it. Mm-hmm. It's clearly after powdered wigs and the parchment. And I'm going to say it's the most recent, but I'm sure it's wrong. GPS is more recent than the post-it. Yes, you would be incorrect. Post-it was invented in 1974, so right between oh, the portable the phone and the Are GPS. you sure our forefathers didn't use their post-it notes <laughs> all over no, the Oval no, 3M, office? No, 3M was still a long ways away. <laughs> yes. Right. I'm really holding um, back those Romy and Michelle's high school reunion quotes. I'm doing my best. <laughs> okay. And so my last one is the invention of the zipper. Okay. The actual zipper, not the terrible the, carnival ride, right? <laughs> correct. Correct. Okay. Not the one that makes kids puke and adults everywhere. Yeah. I'm going to say that occurs between the portable phone and the coffee maker. And so... The coffee maker was invented in 1802, Ooh. and the in- zipper was invented in 1891, so I Ooh. would be correct. So Thomas Jefferson did not have pants with a zipper. Correct. He would okay. have had just, just ties, ribbons, or buttons. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, had to tie him tight for when he's driving around in his car, apparently. All right, that's timeline. Emily, you and me are tied again. Ooh, what do we win? <laughs> we both win a replica of the very first automobile with windows that are put together by zippers. All right, and a powdered wig. I love it. <laughs> Let's look a little bit to what's coming up on the Grounded Learners Guild. So our next episode is going to be about the practice of co-teaching. I know I mentioned it a little bit today, but we're going to take a deeper dive on co-teaching. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope you can join us. And that's a wrap. It's so good to be behind the mics talking to you all. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues as always, and you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, and on Twitter, at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie using the hashtag GLGPodChat. Do you even realize your feedback is everything? 
feedback is a powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already, or are finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review, as well as subscribing? You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you at the next Guild meeting. And don't forget, in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.